0: Hey everyone, welcome to The Open Jumper. My name is Ben Gruder. I'm your host, and I can't wait to get this thing started. I love talking ball, I love talking the NBA especially, and I figured what better way to do that than to start a podcast. A little bit about myself, really briefly. I'm an NBA writer for NBA Analysis Network. I also contribute for Fansided. So I cover all 30 teams across the league for both outlets. And, you know, I I love expressing my passion for the NBA through my writing but I figured an even better way to do that would be through a podcast. Um, I'm also a diehard Celtics fan. My dad's got a lot of family up in Boston and up in Cape Cod so I grew up a Red Sox fan but I don't watch the MLB like I used to Um, but I love the Celtics. Can't wait to see how it unfolds for them this season. They've looked great early on but obviously we're only three games in. Um, Yeah I'm also a huge Nicole Jokic fan. Um, I was really really high on him Back in his second, third year in the league, back in 2017, I was talking, you know, what seemed like nonsense to a lot of people, talking about how he was going to be, you know, an all-timer. But, you know, he's surpassed my expectations. It's crazy how, uh, you know, transcendent he is. Um, The Denver Nuggets look great still, 4-0 this season. So we'll see how the season unfolds for them as well. As long as they stay healthy, they're probably the team to beat, um, at least out west, Um, Obviously, a lot happened over the offseason, so there are some new-look teams that we haven't even seen uh, really in their final form yet. You know, you got the the Suns, who added Beal, who hasn't even played a game yet. Um, Obviously, the Celtics made a lot of changes, so a lot to talk about uh, in the NBA right now. It's a great time for the sport, Um, but yeah, today I want to keep things pretty conversational. I just want to dive into a lot of different teams that I'm interested in watching this season. Um, I'm going to start with a few young teams in the East. Uh, first things first, I want to begin with the Indiana Pacers. So I think they're really an interesting team, not just this season, but just in the next, you know, five to eight years. They have Tyrese Halberton, who to me is the best point guard in the East, even before Harden, um, of course, was just traded yesterday, or I guess I should say last night or this morning. Uh he was traded, obviously, to the Clippers. An incredible, you know, blockbuster deal that uh, you know we heard might happen, but we, you know there was a lot of uncertainty around that. And um, yeah, it's going to shake up the West a lot. But we'll get to that later in the pod. Anyways, I think Halliburton is the best point guard in the East, um, and I think he has been since last season. Um, to be six foot five, in a forty percent three point shooter, and also be putting up double digit assists and only you know around three turnovers a game, like. To do that is just absurd man like we've seen chris paul put up that level of efficiency i think chris paul's probably the most you know just when you look at the stats right the amount of turnovers to assist like chris paul's probably the most efficient uh playmaker in four general of all time right or at least one of them and tyrese halliburton's on his way to becoming that as well at six foot five with a forty percent clip from three right so to me it all you know, it's all about him, right? If, if he can stay healthy, they're going to be a great team, a great offense. Um, they are number one in assists so far, top three points per game. Obviously, we're only three games in the season, and they did get to play the Wizards on opening night where they hung 143 on them. So, yeah, I mean, they added some defensive pieces like Bruce Brown, and they added Jairus Walker through the draft. So it's an exciting team. Obi Toppin also is there now. Um, so they they uh, they definitely, you know, have an exciting young team. I think they're one of the 10 youngest teams in the league in terms of average age, which is great. You know, their vets are, are Buddy Heald and Miles Turner, um, and that's about it among their core players. TJ McConnell as well, but he's not even in the rotation now. Um, and that's because Andrew Nemhard, you know, is there, and he's an amazing playmaker as well. To have him as their sixth man is incredible. You know, he started a lot of games last year, but... You know, starting him with Haliburton doesn't really make sense when you have a guy like Benedict Matherin, who's a, you know, more of a true two guard. Uh, very talented as well. So you have a lot of talent on that team. I think that's the most exciting team for me that isn't the Celtics out east. Um, I'm very excited to see how they do. I think they'll make the playoffs this year. I think if Haliburton stays healthy, there's just no way they don't get in um, because that offense is so explosive. But we'll see how that defense looks. They've given Miles Turner some help with their, you know, additions in the offseason. But yeah. Super excited to watch them. Um, another team I really am looking forward to watching. Um, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, but they look uh, good so far. I mean, they got some really nice end pieces, and that's the Detroit Pistons. Um, All-Star, I, I'm not sure if I'm pronounced that right, but All-Star Thompson. He is a beast. Uh, that's, that looks like a great pick that they're uh, probably really happy with right now. He's a really a do-it-all type guy, really good defender, great rebounder for his size. I mean, amazing rebounder. I think he's six foot six or six foot seven, but he's getting double digit boards. Uh, feels like every night so far. There's only been four games, obviously, for them. They're two and two, but um, I love that front court, Isaiah Stewart and Jalen Durin. A lot of versatility. Um, Durin's an incredible athlete, only 19 years old, and he's been really, really good um, so far. And Isaiah Stewart, you know, he's added a three point shot to his game so he can become more of that floor spacing big. So, and then obviously, Kate Cunningham, you know, he. Is, is looking to have a healthy season after uh, suffering the injury last year where you know, it caused him to miss, I believe, most of the season. So the Detroit Pistons are another really young team that I'm excited to watch. I don't think they're going to make any serious noise this year in terms of contention for the playoffs, but I think they're just really fun, and I can't wait to see how some of those young guys develop. Killian Hayes is still kind of a project, it seems, and he's already been in the league for a couple of years now, so... That's a guy that, you know, you could see them give up on in the next year or two if he doesn't really take any kind of leap. But I believe they've started him so far. I believe they're starting him in the backcourt with Cade Cunningham. I'm not 100% sure, but I think he is that that uh, that two-guard uh, next to Cade. Um, now I, I do want to talk about the Celtics a little bit. Man, they look good. Um, I think the big thing for me is that they've won – uh, they won that ugly game in New York, right? That's a game that last year they're not winning, right? That season opener in Madison Square Garden. New York did kind of choke that game, right? They missed a lot of free throws, but poor Zingus man. What an addition. Um, you had a lot of Celtics fans really sad when Marcus Smart left. Obviously, I'm you know, I'm one of them, right? Uh, seeing Smart go is freaking heartbreaking, right? Um, I didn't really feel that same way when Rob... Uh, was traded, even though Rob wasn't, uh, you know, uh, an important piece for us for many years now, um, longer than people realize, right? Rob's been uh, in the league for, you know, at least, you know, four years, five years now, I believe. So, yeah, he was an integral piece for us on defense. But to add Porzingis and what he brings to the table, the shot variety that he gives us as a whole offense is is crazy. Um, the Celtics, I, I saw a stat: uh, the Celtics were. You know, they were bottom seven or bottom six in post-ups per game last year, like three a game. And they're now second in the league. Now, obviously, you know, like I said, we're only a week into the season. Um, but they're second in the league so far with almost nine a game, nine post-ups per game. Jason Tatum has, uh, I think he's got a 10% increase in uh, post-ups uh, in terms of just relative to his shot selection and his shot diet. Like he's, I think it's like a 15% post-up percentage for him, which is great to see because he's so physical. And it, it's it been really a, a problem the last few years seeing him um, settle sometimes for those threes. He's so talented and he's obviously, you know, an elite player, in my opinion, a top, top five, maybe top four player in the league. But I mean, to see him posting up, and Porzingis has been utterly dominant in the post too. So the thing is, just... The amount of talent on this team, on the Celtics squad, it just makes it so tough for opposing defenses because you just really can't double anyone, it feels like, you know? Um, and you got Horford off the bench, right? A guy who shot 45% from three last year, um, who's still an incredibly uh, underrated and an elite defender, Um Horford, I mean, he guarded and beat in the playoffs at an incredible level. He guarded Giannis two years ago at an incredible level. So to have him on this team still coming off your bench, you know, I think that uh, the most interesting thing about the Celtics as the season progresses is to see how they tinker with the lineups, uh, whether it be the starting lineup or the rotations. The bench is a little bit of a mystery right now. Peyton Pritchard had an electric preseason, but he's looked not great, uh, since then. You know, 0 of 8 from the field, I believe, last night against the Wizards. It didn't really matter because the starters creamed them um, for a variety of reasons. Um, You know, some of those reasons are involving the Wizards, some involving the Celtics. But yeah, I think that the Celtics are, you know, in a really good spot in terms of the versatility they can bring out on the floor with their lineups. O-shaper sets look good for them as well. Um, but yeah, I don't want to spend an insane amount of time on them because I think you know we're so early in the season. I I think it's early, um, too early to make any declarations. But I I will say that uh, they're my tentative pick to come out of the East right now, um, and honestly, they, they might be my pick to to win it all. I think they are, um, given that they have uh, such a, a a versatile lineup on defense and offense. You know that's the thing they haven't had that. Versatility on offense over the last couple of years that Porzingis brings to the table. Now, it all goes out the window if Porzingis gets hurt, right? Um, knock on wood, but hopefully Porzingis stays healthy because, you know, with him, they just, it's just a, a really tough uh, team for anyone to guard, no matter what team you are, no matter what kind of defense uh, you're going to try to throw at them. It's just tough to guard that team. So, anyways, kind of beating the dead horse here talking about uh, how tough they are to guard. We know that... Um, the key for that will be health is my biggest takeaway. Um, and I think, you know, Porzingis said it best in his interview after uh, last night's game against the Wizards. He talked about how he's kind of in a defensive paradise, right? To have Drew Holiday and Derek White as the guys who are, you know, guarding people on the perimeter, right? You almost don't have to do as much work as the paint defender as Porzingis, but he's willing to do that. He's averaging two blocks a game so far, 21-8. and eight on incredible splits, 58% from the field, 47% from three. So again, small sample size, but very excited for the Celtics. I think they're the team to be in the East. I think they match up really well against the, the Bucks, which I'll get to later, but let's move on. Uh, let's move on to the Mavs. Uh, the Mavs are a team that I'm really surprised with in a, in a good way. Like I'm pleasantly surprised with how great their offense has been. Now they have played, you know, three teams that are combined two and eight so far. Again, small sample size, but the Spurs, um, the Nets, and the Grizzlies. Grizzlies don't have jaw. Um, They got my guy Marcus Smart, of course, but I think the Mavs, you know, 125 points per game through their first uh, three games. They're one of three undefeated teams along with Denver and Boston. So I really the reason I'm shocked is because I had a lot of question marks about their offense heading into the season. I know they prioritized defensive additions in the offseason, rightfully so. But losing like Dinwiddie, New of last season, and losing even some shooters like Finney Smith and Bullock, like I just kind of wasn't sure how their offense was gonna look. But Lively, uh, Derek Lively, the twelfth pick in this recent draft, he's looked great for them on both ends, like, just, he's just a a, a good rim-running uh, young big man, so, Grant Williams, I haven't really paid attention to his individual production, but I think he's had some some good run already for them, um, but yeah, Tim Hardaway Jr. off the bench, I think that's been a good look for them as well, so, yeah, I mean, Luka Doncic has been an MVP type guy, um, if they gave MVPs for the first three games of the season, he'd be it, but they don't, so, <laughs> We'll see how that goes, though, for the Mavs. I, I want to see if they continue that offensive production because right now it's been really, really uh, refreshing to see them kind of prove me wrong. I really thought their offense was going to be you know, taking a, a step back, um, but it, it hasn't at all. So we'll see how their defense pans out. I think they're middle of the road uh, through the first you know, week of the season, but obviously that doesn't say much. We're so early on. But, yeah, I think the Mavs are really exciting. Does Luka Doncic win his first MVP? You know who knows. I think Jokic would be my favorite right now. Um, he's just so undeniably good, um, and his team is so undeniably good. So it's tough to to pick against him. But yeah, I think Luka has a, a real shot. He'd probably be second in my um, in my ladder, I guess, uh, for the whole season. And uh, yeah, let's uh, let's talk about a, another team. I want to um, shift back to the East uh, really briefly. Uh, I guess we're talking about Lucas, so I guess it's fitting to talk about Trey Young, right? Um, <laughs> I still can't believe the Hawks uh, took Trey Young over Luka Doncic, but doesn't matter now. You know, Trey is a guy that fits their culture well. Uh, apparently, you know, I mean, I think the Hawks, for me, they're a team that you know I'm really excited to see uh, how they kind of adapt to the struggles of last season because last season, to me, it was very clear what their issues were. Um, It was one really big issue and I'm a big ball movement guy. Um, That's why I love the Pacers this year because they move the ball so well and Tyrese Halliburton promotes playmaking at such a high level. So does uh, Jokic Um, on a much smaller scale. That's why Al Horford was always one of my favorite Celtics even during his first stint because he's a guy who promotes playmaking, right? It doesn't mean you have to be having the craziest usage rate but you just keep the ball moving, right? You set things up for your teammates and Trey Young, to me, it, his incredible, you know, assist numbers, I think he's been the league leader in assists uh, the last two seasons. And one of those seasons, he led the league in total points as well. But the problem with him is I believe a lot of his assists come from just such a high usage rather than ball moving because I, I may be wrong, but I believe the Hawks were dead last in passes per game last year, just dead last, not an assist per game, but In passes per game, which is so telling to me, to have uh, a guy in Dejounte Murray who averaged over nine assists the year before he came to Atlanta, with San Antonio, and Trey Young. I mean, you have these two guys, and it it feels like they should be a great playmaking offense. But, um, like on paper, but to me, all that they do a lot of the time is they run this really basic and stagnant and predictable offense where Trey Young gets that high pick and roll with Capella and three guys just sit outside the three-point line and just wait and if it doesn't work then he just kicks out to someone or you know picks up his dribble and just resets and it's just so you know tough to watch because I feel like that team has uh they have unfulfilled potential so I'm excited to see if they can kind of figure it out um they've had a really up and down first four games which isn't surprising given that their offense is so volatile and so inconsistent right so they won their first, or sorry, they lost their first two games, won their next two games, including a win over the Bucks. Um, apparently, Unique Ocon, still owns Giannis Antetokounmpo. Not really, but he is one of the best defenders of Giannis in the league. Um, which brings me to my next point. I believe they should trade Capella. Um, Clint Capella, and it's not because Clint Capella is, is such a, you know, it's not that he has such a lack of talent, right? He isn't the most talented guy. And I do think he's benefited from playing with Chris Paul, James Harden, Trey Young. But at the end of the day, Okong was just a better fit for today's NBA. He's so versatile. He can guard, you know, one through five better than Capella at least, right? And he's developed a three-point jumper too. I think he shot 31% from three last year, albeit on, you know, really limited attempts. I believe he might have shot 15 threes all year. But the whole point is... He's willing to develop his jumper, and he can hit that, you know, 10-foot midi that Capella just can't hit. I mean, Capella can't hit fritos, right? So to me, Clint Capella, you know, a big problem is that his use is so limited for them on offense, right? So it gets them into that set where they're running this pick and roll. It feels like every play, you know, obviously that's not the case, but it feels like it sometimes, right? Their offense is so predictable, and I think he's a big reason why. Um, I don't know what team would take him on. I don't know what value you can get for him, but I would not be surprised if he's gone by the deadline. I think Okong was the center of the future for them, and he's one of the be- he's probably the best bench big man in the league, right? Outside of maybe Nas Reed. Nas Reed's a very underrated scorer, um, playing some great ball for the Wolves. Interesting, interesting to see who like he ends up with in the future, right? If he stays with the Wolves long term, given their situation in the front court, but yeah, I think the Hawks. You know, they've got some issues in terms of that ball movement, but um I you know, I, I think they're high up in assists through the first four games, you know, as they should be, right? They have Trey Young, they have DeJounte Murray. So, um DeJounte Murray matched his career high, I believe, with forty one, um, in a comeback win over the Wolves, uh, in their last game. So that's gonna be interesting to see, you know, if they can kind of fix those issues. I think, you know, it could be a locker room thing as well. Who knows? But Yeah, I think that uh, another team to talk about in the East that, you know, I'm kind of unsure about is the Heat. And it's crazy to say that because they literally made the finals last year, right? The Miami Heat were awesome in the playoffs, but they did have an historical jump in their three-point shooting, right? Their three-point efficiency was insane, especially against Boston. I don't want to sound like a salty Celtics fan, but, I mean, they shot incredibly well, incredibly above what was expected of them on uncontested and contested threes but they deserved it I mean those guys are dogs but the thing is about the Heat is they you know they didn't get any of these guys that people thought they might get right there were even talks about James Harden going there right but you heard talks about Dame of course Damian Lillard who of course went to Milwaukee which we'll get into soon and you heard talks about them getting Drew Holiday once he was uh, traded to Portland and of course he ends up coming to Boston which was amazing for Boston but the Heat, they've lost Struess and Vincent, and Struess has looked like a huge loss given how well he's played for the Cavs so far. And Vincent, you know, hasn't played well for the Lakers, but in that Eric Spoelstra system in Miami, next to all those guys, he had really developed some serious chemistry. And you got Lowry. Kyle Lowry, you know, he's you know, he's 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 old now, man. He's he's thirty, I believe he's thirty-six. Six points a game, four and a half rebounds a game, four and a half assists a game getting 31 minutes a game. It's not like he's putting up these numbers in 20 minutes a game. He's the starting point guard. He started all four games. So to have him instead of Vincent, I believe it could be a blow for them. And meanwhile, Tyler Hero is that guy that's been talked about in so many trade rumors. And he's averaging 25 points, five boards, four assists, 38% from three. Like he's playing great basketball. So to see Tyler Hero playing so well, that's encouraging for the Heat, but what do they do at the deadline if they're not succeeding the way they want to, right? You know, I think it might take Bam Adebayo, you know, having another leap in his game. Um, he's a he's a heck of a player, amazing two-way player. Um, he was awesome, um, you know, for them, especially on defense throughout the playoffs. And Jimmy Butler, you know, he's going to have to play... I think he's going to have to not sit as much, right? You know, you've, you've, you've seen Butler take, you know, more of that load management approach over the last few seasons, you know, to, to eliminate injury risk. But I think the East is getting even more competitive, especially with teams like the Pacers um, kind of on the rise. So, you know, can't forget that the Heat didn't actually get into the playoffs automatically. They got through the playing game, which is something that made their, you know, Cinderella run even more incredible and even more admirable. But, you know, we'll see if Spolstra figures it out. I believe that, you know, they're going to make some moves to the deadline. I'd be very shocked if they didn't. Um, but they had, you know, they, had a, they looked really good against the Celtics uh, in game two of the season. And let's just talk really quick about Derek White, by the way. Um, you know, his stats through three games, don't, they don't mean anything because we've only had three games, right? 15 points, I believe, you know, four boards, four assists, something like that. But that game against the Heat, holy moly. 28 points. He blocked Jimmy Butler three times in one ball game. <laughs> I think he had two chase-down blocks on Butler. Yeah, he had two chase-down blocks. He stuffed him at the rim on another play. I mean, Derek White, man, you know, he's bald now. Uh, if you don't know that, then you know, come on now. You gotta know that by now. Derek White has he got rid of his hairline. Stephen A. Smith made fun of his hairline. Or, or was it him? Someone else did. I don't know. It might have been Stephen A which is kind of ironic. Someone made fun of his hairline. Maybe it was the it was the uh inside the NBA crew, wasn't it? It was it was Charles Barkley and those guys. So, um yeah, he uh he fully committed to just getting rid of that hairline fully, and he's looking dang good, man. Um he's playing great basketball. Um talk about an elite fifth option, or I guess a fourth option on offense. You know, he 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 might take um more offensive responsibility than Holiday on this team. Holiday right? Holiday's, you know, He's getting up there in age. You know, Derek White is still kind of um, you know, entering or, or in his prime, right? So Derek White, shout out to him. One of my favorite players in the Celtics. I'd say he's my favorite player besides, you know, Tatum and Horford. Shocker, right? Jason Tatum's my favorite player. is not a shocker um, as a Celtics fan. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, it's gonna be really exciting to see how Derek White uh you know plays the rest of the season. This could be a breakout year for him because he's gotten you know, heavy minutes through the first three games, Um, and he's never averaged 30 minutes a game in his career, and I think this could be the first year he does that, and if he does that, he could be an MIP candidate, and I'm really excited to see how it goes for him this year, but anyways, yeah, great game against the Heat that the Celtics played. The Heat played well, too. Um, They were hitting a lot of shots. Hero looked really good. Um, Kevin Love, you know, he usually plays well against us for whatever reason, and he looked pretty good in that game as well. So, um, yeah, we'll see how how things unfold for the Heat, though, this season. I think they're going to probably find a way into the playoffs, but I don't think they're going to repeat their level of success uh, once they get to the postseason. Um, anyways, I want to talk a little bit about Denver as well. Um, I don't need to spend too much time on them. I think it's pretty straightforward when we talk about this team. Um, they're so good, so elite. Um, they're number one in field goal percentage through the first, you know, week of the season. Again, a small sample size, but honestly, it's not surprising considering they were number one in field goal percentage last year as well. Um, they're 4-0. and They, a stat I saw the other day, which is crazy to me. They are 21-0 and uh, in games where Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, Jokic, and Murray all play at home. So in home games with those four playing... They're 21-0 against Western Conference opponents. Now, it's a little bit of an ESPN stat, they like to call it, a little nitpicky because it doesn't include games against Eastern Conference opponents. I remember they actually lost Game 2 against the Heat in the, in the playoffs, um, in the finals. But they're 8-0 in the playoffs against Western Conference opponents when those four play. But nonetheless, it's a crazy stat. They're so successful when they're healthy. Um, to me, that's the biggest question mark. Uh, people aren't really talking about it a lot. And I don't think people should be because I don't think it's fun to talk about injuries possibly happening. Um, And that's where I get a little bit of flack from my buddies when I talk about the Pelicans, right? Because I never expect a lot from the Pelicans over these last couple of years due to their injury concerns. But injury history is a real thing. We see it a lot in the NBA. It affects teams, right? Just look at Gordon Hayward in Charlotte, you know, ever since he had that horrible injury with the Celtics. Um, But yeah, I think that Denver, you know, they had a really healthy playoff run, and that was something that they hadn't had ever in the era. So for them to be fully healthy last year was great to see. Let's hope they stay healthy, right? To me, the biggest concern is, you know, don't uh, overdo MPJ and, and Jamal Murray's minutes, right? Keep those guys from, you know, I think resting them on back-to-backs, take advantage of the fact that they're not all-stars, right? Jamal Murray is an all-star level player, but he wasn't an all-star last year. And and obviously the NBA, you know, during the offseason, they made a rule where all-stars from the prior year cannot, uh, they can't rest games, um, or I guess it's two can't rest games at a time for a team. Um, But yeah, I I think that Jamal Murray, um, you know, if he can stay healthy, he'll have an all-star season finally. Um, I think that's pretty obvious, but hopefully that team can stay healthy. I think the only thing that's in their way in the West is health. Um, I think the only way they could, you know, lose to anyone out West is if they suffer a major injury. So hopefully they don't, um, you know, knock on wood. But uh, yeah, that's a great team. Denver, you know, to me, they're the team to beat still. I think I need to see the Celtics do this for an even you know, more sustained and uh, longer period of time. But I will say, I think Boston you know, has the best chance of beating uh, Denver in a playoff series, given uh, the matchups they present. Anyways, let's talk a little bit about Harden to the Clippers. Amazing uh, Woj bomb, Just crazy. I was actually still awake at 2 a.m., about to go to sleep. I had been doing some writing, so I was up late. And... I'm about to go to sleep. I see that notification. I'm up for another hour talking with people on Twitter spaces about it. And I don't even go on Twitter spaces very often, Um, as much as I used to, at least. Now that the season's starting, that might change. But, I mean, Harden, man, it it, it was a, you know, it was a sticky situation with Daryl Morey. Um, We don't know all the details, which is, you know, frustrating, but, you know, we may never know. Kind of like, you know, the the Ime Doka thing with Boston. Um, But... I think, you know, the uh the the Sixers a lot of people are reacting like they got fleeced. You know, given that Harden's an aging, disgruntled star, he is a star, obviously, but given you know the situation, you know, you got you know legit draft capital out of him and a lot of role players and you got off of P. D. Tucker's contract who I don't think they needed anymore at all. So I believe the Sixers were not losers in this trade. I wouldn't say either team lost the trade. I think the Clippers, you know, they did a great job, though, keeping Mann and Powell. I I would say they still definitely win the trade, even if the Sixers don't lose it. Um, Now you've got James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and Russell Westbrook. The question is, who do they start, right? I think that's what really intrigues me. Do they start Russell Westbrook at the point guard position with James Harden at the two, Uh, you know, or vice versa, either or? Or do they bring Westbrook off the bench and keep Mann as the starting uh, two guard next to Harden? I mean, I think that you know either one's feasible. I, I I've heard people talk about PJ Tucker starting for them. I don't think they should do that. I, I think the spacing um, from a shooting perspective uh, with Tucker and Zubak in the front court, I don't think that's great for them. Uh, I know Tucker can hit the three ball, but um, he's offensively limited in, in pretty much every other way. So I don't see them doing that. But to be honest, my biggest worry is Kawhi's health. I think Kawhi Leonard and you know Paul George as well, and even James Harden has suffered injuries throughout the last you know several seasons in the playoffs, right? With the Nets, you know his injury is the only reason why Brooklyn probably doesn't have a title now, right? That's probably the only reason they lost to the Milwaukee Bucks. But yeah, I mean Harden is 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 still an elite playmaker. Um, he's a little bit more inconsistent as a scorer as he used to be, which is fine, um, but. Unfortunately, I can see a situation where we get to the playoffs and the Clippers don't have two of their four stars, um, right? And, and, you know, you could see a situation where Harden and Westbrook are playing just those two, you know, at their, you know, greater age now. It's not the Houston Rockets, Russell Westbrook we're getting, right? He's still a very capable player, but, uh, you know, you're getting Westbrook and Harden in the playoffs with Kawhi and Paul George out. I can see that happening 100%. I don't want it to happen, of course. But unfortunately, injury history is a real thing, and we got to you know accept that. I think even if they're healthy, though, I, I don't I don't see them beating uh, Denver. I think Denver's size, I think Denver's you know versatility. I think they're you know the incredible play of Jokic. I believe you know as long as Jokic has supporting cast, I don't see anyone out west beating him. You know, and I think you know in the East, like I said, I I, I think only Boston has a chance against them, and that's only because of just how loaded they are, right? And if they had any different of a team, right, if Boston hadn't gotten Holiday or hadn't gotten Porzingis, I think you'd have to pick Denver. Um, but because of the additions Boston made, I, you know, I might be leaning the Celtics. You know, there might be some bias there. I'll admit it. But either way, I'd be, I'd be obsessed with Denver playing Boston in the finals. We were so close to that last year. I really thought it was going to happen. I had been saying it was going to happen for months before the playoffs. The Miami Heat proved me wrong, of course. Um, you know, too good by them. But... Uh, we'll see if it pans out there for me this year, but let's talk about Philly for a second. You know, they're, they're going to, you know, lean on Maxi more now. He has looked incredible. Uh, you know, he's going to be an all-star this year for the first time. He has been freaking amazing. I mean, you look at the, uh, playmaking too, right? I believe he's had eight assists in two of the three games so far that they played like he's a legit point guard. The thing about him is he was playing next to Harden, right? More in that two guard role in the backcourt, but he can really, you know, run the point at an elite level. And I I think, I feel like I should have known that as a, you know, as an NBA fan, I feel like I should have known just how good he was as a scorer and a playmaker. But I think Sixers fans are, you know, probably saying, you know what, we knew this, right? And I think, Sixers fans should actually be relieved to get rid of Harden after the drama with him and Mori. I think this is a great kind of reboot for the Sixers, getting to have Maxi um, be the man in the backcourt. However, Joel Embiid's status with this team, you know, you get a little nervous, right? And you get a little bit scared about, you know, is his future going to be with Philly forever? And you just don't know. Um, obviously, Giannis signed that three-year extension with Milwaukee, Um, when we were honestly, you know, as NBA fans, unsure about his future too. Um, But he sort of squashed that seemingly with that contract. Um, But we'll see how Embiid, uh, you know, uh, how that situation unfolds with Philly over the course of the season. I think, you know, winning will cure everything. So if they can win a lot of games and get a top three seed, I think it's fair to say they're still the third best team in the East. You know, I think... They've got a lot of uh, of good role players. D'Anthony Melton's uh, still a very uh, solid three and D guy for them on the perimeter. Obviously, you still have Tobias Harris, who I could see them moving uh, at the trade deadline because of that contract. But it just it's a tough one to move, obviously. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, but yeah, I mean, let's just let's just talk with the Bucks as well. You know, now that we're on the you know the big fish in the East. Um, just last thing with Philly, though, I, I do think um, the most interesting aspect. Uh, for their team is, is who they're going to start now. Now that uh, Tucker's gone, who are they going to start at the four? Um, they've got a couple of new guys coming in. They got Nicholas Batum, Kenny Martin Jr. Um, you have <clears throat> Robert Covington as well. So yeah, I mean it's an exciting, uh, you know, situation for them. You know, getting to lean on Maxi and, and have him really be that guy. Um, and the way he's playing, you know, he might not be far off. In scoring from Joel Embiid by the end of the season. So anyways, let's talk about the Bucks a little bit. Um, let's jump to them. Damian Lillard and Giannis Antetokounmpo is an incredible two-man duo. Um, that pick and roll is going to give so many teams nightmares uh, across the league and, and, and throughout the season. Uh, Dame had a really tough game. I think it was against the Hawks, maybe. Maybe I'm wrong. I think it was against the Hawks in that blowout loss to Atlanta, but... Um, it's just one, re- you know, one regular season game. I think that Giannis and Dame, you know, they're one of the most formidable duos in the league. However, I think people, you know, might be underrating the loss of Drew Holiday just a little bit, just because you don't really have anyone to defend the stars that you know will be in the East uh, in terms of wings and guards. Like, who's going to defend a Jason Tatum or a Jalen Brown on that team? They really struggled to defend those two two years ago in the playoffs. How are they going to do it now that they don't have Drew Holiday, who is the primary defender for really both those guys in in clutch, you know, clutch time situations? So, Chris Milton, you know, the unfortunate reality is that his defense has taken a hit um, over the last couple of seasons just because of the injuries and the aging. But he's still a very obviously a capable offensive player. The question is, you know, what form is he going to be in come playoff time? Um, yeah. So I mean, they have they have the size still. Right with Bobby Portis, Brooke Lopez, Giannis. The thing for me that really uh, has me not scared of the Bucks as a Celtics fan is just the way they play defense. Now their defense in the over the course of a regular season is great for regular season defense, right? For a regular season, they you know, you're gonna have streaks in this season where they win double digit games in a row and People are calling them the team to beat in the East. And it'll be understandable, right? And they'll have a great defense. They'll be suffocating teams. And we saw that happen last year before they, you know, they lost to the Heat in the playoffs. But the bottom line is the way they play defense does not match up well with a team like Boston. Especially now that they don't have Rob Williams and that they have Porzingis instead. Now you have five shooters all, like, all on the floor at all times. And you got that with Horford if he's coming off the bench Right, you have that with Hauser, you have that with Pritchard, so you have spacing. No matter what line you are bringing out there, it feels like, you know, outside of you know bringing out the third string big and Luke Cornett, uh, you know, who I, I doubt he even will be seeing minutes come playoff time. But I mean, the bottom line is the Milwaukee Bucks they defend in a pretty simple way. They pack the paint, right? They lean on their interior defense, understandably so given the roster that they have. And their perimeter defense, you know, it's a little lackluster, especially with the loss of Holiday. And I'm just, I'm telling you, man, you know, I'm not even as focused on the Lillard downgrade on defense. I'm more focused on just the way they scheme on defense. You know, you saw two years ago, Grant Williams dropping seven threes in game seven because they were just leaving him open. You know, batting practice threes is one of my, is one of my buddies like to call it in that game. They were giving him batting practice threes. So you know, I think that Milwaukee is gonna be the team that gives you know, Boston the most trouble in the playoffs because of just the, the pure talent that they have and the half-court um, offense that they can run come playoff time. But at the end of the day, man, I mean, Boston has a game plan on defense for Giannis. We've seen it in the playoffs. He had horrendous true shooting against us two seasons ago in the playoffs. You know, like he, he definitely doesn't love playing Boston. You know, we've seen it really over the last couple seasons in the regular season, too. He's really struggled against Boston more than it feels like any other team. So at the end of the day, you know, you have Al Horford as well to guard Giannis, and you have Drew Holiday now playing against his former team, um, which could add you know a little bit of fire to that series. I'll say this: that's a box office, you know, that's a popcorn series right there. Right? That's an incredible series. If, you know, if the Bucks and Celtics play each other in the playoffs, I feel like we all as NBA fans should want that because that would just be incredible to watch. So fun. So many exciting matchups. Giannis versus Tatum is like an obvious, you know, star versus star matchup. But you have a lot of of interesting, you know, little, you know, matchups in there. Porzingis and Lopez, right? Um, Middleton, you know, if he can do anything on defense against a guy like Jalen Brown, right? Because they're going to have to put a guy like Middleton on a guy like Jalen Brown in that series. So yeah, I think that Boston matches up really well because of their shooting. You know, bottom line is Porzingis and Horford, they just, they're not going to let Lopez sit in the paint. You cannot have the Romer sit in the paint if you're the Bucks because you have elite shooters in Porzingis and Horford. I'm talking elite three-point shooters. Um, and Al Horford, you know, at his age, he's lost some mobility um, and some production on offense, you know, especially off the dribble, right? You're not going to see him, you know, back down guys in the post. But his fundamentals on defense are still so intact, given the incredible defense he played on Joel Embiid. I, I, I think against Giannis too a few years ago, I believe he took, um, I th- believe Giannis took 91 shots when he was being either defended or partially defended by Horford and made like 33 of the 91 shots. Just think about that, right? You're talking about Giannis Antetokounmpo, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, Horford did the same kind of thing against Embiid last year. He, he clamped him up when Embiid was being guarded by him. So I think, you know, given the matchup problems they possess like against the Bucs, um, I think that Boston should be favored against them just strictly based off matchup. Right, the way they play defense in Milwaukee is just not conducive to winning against Boston. I just don't know if they can adjust that um, given their personnel. Anyways, you know, I told you guys I would talk a lot about Boston. I'm sorry, I can't help it. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think you know, I just want to uh, make you know a quick pick uh, for who's going to play in the finals. I-, I believe Celtics and Nuggets will be the finals. Um, I don't think the Clippers beat. Denver in the playoffs, but I do think that if they're healthy, they're the second best team in the West. Um, I guess I should briefly talk about Phoenix as well. Um, I feel like I, you know, I should because they are a star-studded team, right? Bradley Beal goes there in the offseason. You got Booker, Beal, and Durant. I got to give Booker his props. He's a phenomenal playmaker, you know, similar to um, Maxie. I wasn't fully aware of how good of a playmaker he really was, I mean, I, I, you know, Booker's obviously, it's, you know, he's a, a better player than Maxi, you know, that's, but I'm just, you know, I'm trying to compare the two in regard to how even though they can score so well, they can play make like crazy too. I mean, bottom line is, you know, you've got, you know, a lot of half-court talent on that team. The question is on defense, you know, do they, uh, you know, do they have what it takes to hang with the best teams in the West? And I'm just not sure they do. You know, Nurkic is their is their guy, and and you know at the five, and um, they're starting. I believe they're starting Okoye. I think they're they're going to start Okoge the rest of the season alongside you know when they're healthy Booker, Beal, and Durant. But also the health is a real concern for that team, right? Um, for all these teams, uh, or I, well, I guess by all I mean the Clippers and Suns. But for both of these teams I've mentioned, right? The biggest problem with them is their stars are aging and they're super injury prone. It's very simple, right? It's, there's not much to it more than that. You know, if they're healthy, the sky's the limit for both those teams, but will they stay healthy? That's the question. You know, Devin Booker and Bradley Beal have already missed time and we're literally a week into the season. But yeah, um, you know, other than that, I don't really have much to say about uh, any other teams in the East or West, just in depth, really. Um, those are my favorite teams uh, in terms of teams I want to watch as the season progresses. I um, hope you guys enjoyed this first episode of the Open Jumper. Um, you know, you can follow me on Twitter if you'd like at Ben Grunert Bball. Uh, I just, you know, I, I love talking hoops. So if you, uh, you know, got a space on there um, that I can hop into, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll be in there as well. This is that's really just for the guys that know me. Um, and that I talk to about basketball on a regular basis, but uh, yeah, uh, I love doing it today. Uh, getting this podcast started, um, you know, I make sure to uh, you know catch some NBA action tonight. Um, Boston Celtics uh, do not play, so I don't know how much uh, investment I'll have in tonight's games. But um, yeah, thank you guys. Have a great day.